and welcome to the Platform Comics Podcast. My name is Tucker. This is our first episode, so I figured I'd do a little introduction, not just into the podcast, but into Platform Comics. What is it? Why is it? I wanted to start something that could be a resource for up-and-coming creators, whether you want to be a writer, an artist, letterer, publisher, putting out as much information, opportunities, connections as possible. We've got a lot of different ways to do this in the works. Um, we've got some tutorial videos that are coming out, um, the competition, which is currently a short story competition, but there's going to be a single issue competition and more competitions after that. And of course, we have this podcast, which will feature interviews with people working within the industry. I don't want the podcast to be just people talking about the newest Marvel movie, or even if we're interviewing, you know, a writer or something, I don't want to just get into their biographies and, you know, where they grew up. I wanted to have as much useful information for an aspiring creator. So, you know, really specific writing techniques to how they broke into the industry, or if they're a publisher, you know, what they look for, uh, how they handle submissions, that sort of thing, just to make it as rich in actual useful information. So if you have any ideas for people you'd like to hear on the podcast, you know, any questions you want answered, anybody who you'd like to pick their brain, let me know. I've I've got a few more lined up after this one from different sections of the comic book world. So that said, let's move on to our first interview with guest Joseph Keating. If you don't know his work, he's written for Marvel, DC, Image, Skybound. He used to run a uh, an anthology, a short story anthology called Pop Gun, which is how I first heard of him. It's a really great anthology. It won an Eisner Award and a Harvey Award. Um, so he's been writing for a long time with all the big publishers. In fact, he used to actually work at Image, and we talk about that a little, how it affected the way he approaches his writing, and, you know, he really does think about the publisher and the editor while he writes, and even, you know, who his artist is, and that, that was really interesting, him hearing him talk about that. And one of the things I really liked about this this interview is he doesn't just talk about, like, technical stuff. Like, he does get into his brainstorming process and how he has all these different notebooks and these little layouts that he draws for himself things like that. But he also talks about what it means to really be a writer. Uh, he gives out his three rules for being a writer, which uh, I won't spoil them. You'll hear them from him. But uh, a lot of it has to do with, you know, focusing on your craft and how some people, you know, maybe focus too much on their career and meeting the right people and getting to the conventions. And, and for him, it's all about, you know, sitting down and writing and like pushing yourself and in a lot of interesting ways, you know, not just writing comics, but he, you know, he boxes and he talks about how boxing, you know, helps him write, believe it or not. Uh, he watches a lot of these masterclass videos from, not from, from writers necessarily, from filmmakers. I think he said he watched a Jane Goodall uh, masterclass. So he gets inspiration from a lot of different places. And I think it really shows how resourceful he is as a writer, where he brings in all these different influences. You know, he, he, you'll hear him quote a lot of different people, historical figures and things. So you can just tell he's constantly reading things outside of comics and just exposing himself to as much of the world as possible. So I had a great time talking with him. I, I learned a lot from, from hearing his experiences, so I'm sure you will too. And uh, let's get to it. This is my interview with Joseph Keating. So you mentioned you're in Portland, and, and when we were talking about uh, doing this interview, you mentioned that you were going to be in Los Angeles, and we, I guess, thought about maybe doing it in person, which didn't happen. But um, do you come to Los Angeles for any, like, business-related reasons, like for your comic-related stuff? Yeah, you know, um, comics and, and not comics, you know. I guess my question is, because, like, with, like, movies and TV, like, everybody, you know, you got to be in L.A. or New York. Like, is there any of that with comics? Like, where do you feel like you have to go to L.A. to take meetings or anything like that? No, not, I mean, it depends on what you're 
your goals are. You know, you can live anywhere and, and do comics. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of comics in Portland, but to be honest, I don't really interact with it all that much. Uh, with L.A. stuff, I mean, you know, I like it there, you know, uh, so that's a big part of it. And there are comics, people, and publishers there, and certainly it never hurts to, to go visit someone in person. But I'm I'm always at my happiest, sort of in my like my my hermit place and my family and. It seems like a nice part about making comics is that it it's more susceptible to like you can kind of be anywhere because so much of it can just be like you know sent over the internet. It's not like you're working on a movie and like you physically have to be somewhere or anything like that. Oh yeah, well like I, I, I wrote a book called Ringside. And, like I was here. I don't think Image was in Portland yet when Ringside started, but I think they were in Berkeley. Uh, but like the co-creator artist, Nick Barber was in New Zealand. You know, I just met him because I saw his artwork online. I loved it. I reached out to him and then we started working on that. The letterer was in the UK. The colorist was in Seattle, but I mean, I didn't know her through that. So yeah, you can, you can be just about anywhere, which is certainly part of the appeal for me. I mean, the fact that there is a comic scene in Portland is entirely coincidental for me. I just would love it here. So, so yeah, so you're a proponent of kind of be wherever you're comfortable being and don't worry about, like... Life's too short, man. <laughs> do, like, conventions kind of take the place of that? That's kind of where you get the FaceTime or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There is that social element with conventions that, that, that I do love, you know, whether it's collaborators or, or readers or... You know, I just, I tried the whole go to a convention every other week almost kind of thing and i just don't i don't understand people that get anything done uh, i did that around when shutter so book i did an image was launching and it was awesome like i got to go to a bunch of cool different places and i got to meet with a bunch of really cool people from all over the world and you know again readers collaborators editors people who became really good friends of mine but I'm happiest living my life and, 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 you know, I'm grateful I had this opportunity to create this work and I just don't want to mess it up. So I guess there's a, a balance of like, if you focus too much on, you know, your career and meeting people and networking and, you know, handing out business cards or whatever, like you kind of forget that you should probably spend more time, you know, working on your craft and actually doing the thing that you love to do. And right. Well, I, again, I just don't understand. I mean, I, it, it's, I'm grateful to do cons. It, they are a lot of fun, but I just don't understand. You know, you, you said to working on your craft, like in, in life, you're hopefully if you're doing it right, I feel you're a perpetual student anyway, but much less if you're, you know, whatever your craft is, whether it's writing or carpentry or culinary arts or whatever it is, like, you know, the more time you take away from that or, like, I feel like there's three components to especially writing, as I understand it, that you need to be able to do it, which is you need to live your life. Like, otherwise you have nothing. Like, people are like, where do you get your ideas? And it's simple. You just, like, live life and you have these experiences and and then you you you, you read and then you read a lot of everything, stuff that you're inclined to read, stuff you're not inclined to read, stuff that offends you, stuff that doesn't offend you, stuff that inspires you. And then you write as much as you can and you just repeat those three things and to me i feel like that's it <laughs> that's what it all boils down to and so certainly conventions and meeting people is a big part of that you know uh, i've made some of my, my, my best friends you know the artist of uh, flavor Jin clark i initially met him at a emerald city comic-con well you mentioned one of your rules is that you have to live life is there like when you're writing or coming up with stuff do you ever feel like you have to 
I don't know, force that a little bit. Like maybe I need to like, I don't know, take a trip, get out of my comfort zone. I don't know, do something weird um, for a little inspiration. Sure. Except for that last part. Like I do feel it's, it's important to go outside your comfort zone. I think you can't wait for inspiration. You, you just got it. You have to sit down and you have to do the work. You know, there is, um, I love this website called masterclass.com and I just, they have this all access pass thing. Take all the classes you want and, you know, taking classes with people like Jane Goodall and Werner Herzog and David Lynch and all these people. And one of them was actually with Neil Gaiman and he has like some little cabin in the woods or something that he, he writes in his Neil Gaiman and he sits down every day and he gives himself a choice. It's like, you can either write or do nothing. You can't do anything else. But you can write or do nothing. As soon as like, doing nothing, it's not that interesting. But it forces him to like you know sit down. Like, and it, but also gives him a choice to not be the writing. In the end, the writing is the more interesting thing. You know, I, I think waiting for inspiration or waiting for the right idea is very dangerous because I think you're going to be waiting forever. Well, it's funny uh, you mentioned the the Neil Gaiman his strategy. I think I was listening to a podcast with Aaron Sorkin, who I think also has one of those master. Yes, and I took that. It was great. Yeah. He he mentioned that he started writing because he was like bored and his roommate had a typewriter and I think the power went out or something and he was like, okay, I guess I'll start writing. And he like ended up writing all night. And I guess there's a little bit of like, you got to, I don't know, make your own inspiration. And I feel it is certainly my experience. And I believe the experience of a lot of writers that when you sit down, the first chunk of what you're working what you write is just garbage you know writing the real writing is really in editing and rewriting you know the official stuff is just once it starts pouring out that's the that's just the stuff that gets you going and if you can't get to that level then you're just in trouble because if you can't just sit down and write up the garbage there's a an abraham lincoln quote where he says uh i believe it's if you give me six hours to Chop tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. And I, I see so many aspiring writers tell themselves why they can't write. You know, I knew a guy who said he was he needed to read more before he could write because he wanted to know what was out there. And he had some sort of deal with his comic store where he can read all the comics he wanted. He's like, hey, well, I need to see what's out there. I was like, no, like, you don't, it's not, who cares what's out there? You know, you got to write your truest thing to yourself. I mean, if I just sat around and waiting for inspiration to hit, I don't, I wouldn't get anything done. I'm come from a, a music background and I knew a lot of musicians who like they need they thought they needed well I got to get the right speakers and the right microphones and the right this and then they they finally like build their whole little studio and like they haven't made anything and now they're not very good at making music and it's like dude you could just get a you know crappy little microphone and write some songs on a guitar and well know, I think that like, there's there's something to getting the crap sorry to interrupt you but you brought up an inter- very interesting point which is having the crappy microphone and be able to create from that. Like I feel there's a free, like for instance, I used to, back when I first started, I used to use these like moleskin notebooks, these fancy notebooks. And I'd write in these things. It cost like $20, an obscene amount of money for paper. And I felt the more I worked, I was like, this is, I just feel too intimidated to put anything down. That's a beautiful piece of paper, you know, that apparently Van Gogh used or whatever they write in their BS pamphlet. And I'll (laughs) tell you the thing I use now and I think is the most effective are these like composition notebooks that if you get them right around right after school starts are on sale for like 10 cents a pop. And, you know, you got 200 pages to write whatever you want. There's this freedom there. Do you do you write uh, longhand a lot? Yes, I, I do. Every all my preliminary work is longhand, which wasn't always the case. But again, to use the sharpening the axe sort of analogy, I just felt, you know, I believe there's some scientific evidence to it, but that the tactile nature of writing longhand 
was like, you know, when you have a chainsaw that you need to pull the, the cord on and really get it going. Like I, I just feel that for whatever reason, you can pull the cord so much easier when you're typing on a computer, you can just delete anything and there's just, there's no restriction. But I feel that when you, when you have it down on a piece of cheap paper, although I'm very specific with my pens, you're <laughs> sort of hypocritical, but I just really like my pens. You got fancy pens? Not super fancy. I use these Pentels that I really like. They're Pentel uh, brush tip sign pens. I started using those a couple of years ago, and just but yeah, I I, I do all my preliminary stuff right hand, uh, freehand, uh, so longhand rather. So I do you know just general notes, just letting garbage come roll out of my brain into a piece of paper. So anything when I'm developing a new book, I'll, like I have a notebook where it's just any loose idea I have, whether it's a name of a person or a situation I see, or just like a loose idea. Like I have a notebook. This a tiny notebook I keep near my bedside for in the middle of the night if I come up with an idea and I just like write it down. It never makes sense. I actually really look at it, but I just feel like the act of writing it down usually helps retain it in my brain. Do you keep one like in your pocket when you're walking around town? Yes, I, I do. I have a, I have notebooks for everything. So I have one that's always in my car and no matter where I go, it just is always with me. I have a notebook by my bedside. I have a notebook for every book or project I'm working on. So Ringside had its own notebook and Evolution has its own notebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like for instance, this one book that I'm working on right now, it's still in the development phase. I, I, I already, I have, I filled a notebook full of just preliminary stuff, just figuring out the book. When you're ready to write it, I mean, do you like gather up all your, your car notebook, your, your pocket notebook, your bedside notebook, and do you kind of like scour them all and kind of like look through them like, oh, that was good. This was crap. This is, uh, um, or, or... yeah, you know, it all, it all depends, you know? So a lot of the time I just feel like the act of writing it down for whatever reason it triggers something in my brain where I can retain the information more without even looking at the notebook. You know, I don't know it's, what that is, but it, it sort of like cements it in there. Yeah. A lot of the time it just kind of gets hardwired into my brain and then I'll use the notebook to like do the outlining of each issue. So I, I, I figure out what I'm doing for the issue, which is usually I figure out what characters where, where all the characters were at the end of the last issue. And then I'm okay, well, what do they want? What needs to, what are they, what, what do they desire? And usually it's like not what I thought, but it's something else. And I'm like, okay, well, it's that. So I got to figure out that now. And then I create sort of a general outline. And then I create, I, I draw for myself and I draw layouts that no one ever sees. And I don't know if they'd be useful to anyone else besides me. And it's mostly to figure out pagination stuff. Like, okay, well, the page three ends with character X looking off the side and then you turn it and then you know page four stars and character x is so you don't share that stuff with the with the artist like your ideas for layout no because they they know better than me i mean i just you know unless i was gonna draw it myself you know i'm not gonna tell layla del duca or nick barber you know here's how you should do i mean very rarely and occasionally but you trust the artist of course you have to i mean if you don't what are you doing get out of comics like I, i really have no I have no patience for, for writers who are like, well, the artist isn't doing what I want or, or this is not the way I envisioned it. It's like, no. Well, of course it's not. It's, just, it's what we're here for. But my favorite part of comics is that you have these, you know, anywhere from two to four or five people who are from different backgrounds of all over the world, may have met, may have not. And then this singular thing is created that would not exist without all of them. Yeah, seeing something kind of 
not only come to life, but be uh, different from how you imagined it. Like, oh, I always, even even something simple, like I thought the character was going to be looking this way, but he's looking at just the way you visualize it, but it still works and maybe it works better. And the fact that it just has a life of its own is kind of yeah. a really satisfying thing. I've started writing some books without knowing who the artist was, but I, I don't like it. And I, and I feel like whenever I know who the collaborator co-creator is that the comic I'm able to understand what this is more so you're writing with artists in mind like are they already like signed on to 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 do this book with you before you've even written it like you've just kind of pitched them the idea well every book is different right I mean there's no one way of doing things it's important to say I I had this loose idea based off a conversation I had with a friend of mine we're talking about life in general and and then I asked an artist right when I had this like really nascent idea what they thought, and they were okay, I'm in. And so, but with Shutter, for instance, I had a different version of Shutter conceived in 2010 with a different artist, and it just didn't come together. And I, I, sh- I shelved the idea, and I met uh, Layla through uh, Sophie Campbell uh, when Sophie and I were tabled at New York Comic Con. And I saw Layla's art, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, so this is Shutter right here. Like, that's the missing element that I haven't figured out. Or Ringside. Like, I have been developing Ringside since 2010 or 2008, somewhere around there. But it just, I couldn't figure it out. Like, something wasn't working. And then I saw Nick's art, and again, I was like, okay, <clears throat> that's Ringside. Does it change the way you write or think about the story, knowing who the artist is? Uh, it helps figure out the atmosphere and the mood so on Shutter, when I was working with Layla, someone who would just draw anything, and I saw a storytelling opportunity to do things in different styles, and you know, it got to the point where in the last volume, volume five, there are no stylistic changes. It's all Layla. She was like, okay, well, now this is her statement wholly. But yeah, having the artist in, in mind really influences it for me. I have a few things I'm developing now where I don't have an artist in mind, but I have a publisher in mind and I'm working with them to sort of develop it together because you know, I have a huge Rolodex of artists. And so I thought, well, Hey, it'd be kind of cool. Like, I'm curious who you would bring onto this other thing, you know, that kind of thing. And then once the artist is locked down, I'll probably go back to it and revise it a bit. So you're writing, um, longhand coming up with all these ideas I'm assuming mm. you're not just like taking pictures of these things and sending them to the artists, right? Like at some point you're typing it all out, making a script, something like that. Oh yes, absolutely. So I, I do these, these longhand um, layouts that again no one sees, and then I take that and I write like the bullet points. So it's like IFC inside front cover, page one. So I usually start on the inside front cover if I can. IFC page one, page two, and it's a sense per page, right? And I have software that uh, I use called Scrivener that I highly recommend. From there, writing dialogue. I write it all dialogue first. Just like it'll be like panel one, character X says this, character Y says this, character Z says this, and it's uh, in a script. And then I go in and I write the panel descriptions after I've written written all the dialogue. And I do some editing as I go along. I try not to. I used to do that more, but I try just to write and get it all out, and then edit and and, and rewriting. You feel the more I've grown and the more i've learned the more i've come to understand how important the real work comes in the the revisioning the revising and the um rewriting yeah i mean that's i've I've always thought that was the hardest part like just doing the the actual writing the vomit draft or whatever has always been fun for me Mm -hmm. but then it's like 
Uh, now I have to go through and actually like think about this and like tweak little things and move things and got to be calculated and it kind of loses its fun. But that's... So I really learned to love that. I love sort of narrative puzzles. To me, the writing really, the first round of writing is like, you know, you designed what the puzzle should look like at the end and then you broken it into a bunch of pieces and you throw the pieces on the table and that's writing. And then the actual revising and stuff is, you know, the actual putting the puzzle pieces together and figuring it out and seeing how to make it all work. Yeah, I mean, seeing like a, like a story click or something, or sometimes that's why the character went to the hospital in the beginning. It wasn't just for this. We could have it also be for this. And like things kind of connect, like the connecting dots always feels good. Like right. something you thought of that thought was random, like, oh, I could actually make this an intricate part of the story. And Or another side, when I started shutter i wrote the last three pages of the entire series and it was a really cool moment when i figured out like oh it was time to like connect those three pages to the rest of the series <laughs> everything is certainly different you know one a lot of my new books are a lot shorter than everything i've done and i'm not sure what that what that's all about it's just something that this is where i'm at as a writer right now Something I always wonder about people who have like long careers. I mean, do you think that like you're constantly improving and getting better or is there like, you know, you have ups and downs and this one worked, that one didn't? Because I mean, it's like, it's hard to think that you're not getting better because like, how could you not getting better? But some people, I mean, you know, you, you like their earlier stuff or you're like, you think, you know, mm-hmm. something didn't work. So how do you feel about like your own writing? Do you feel like it's constant, like every book, even if people don't appreciate it, like, you know, you're getting, you're doing something better and more interesting you know i i i i feel the hope is you're always trying something new and i hope you know the you're always facing whatever element of your life as a perpetual student you know that you're always learning and trying new things out in terms of my own work i I try not and i I generally don't look back all that much you know i just write the truest thing to myself and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't you know i have books that i've written that i really don't think i did a good job on but i do think i do know that i gave it my all at the time and for whatever reason it worked or it didn't work but i'll tell you i would rather read a body of work by someone who they only have to have stuff that just falls flat but at least they, they gave it a shot so they did the same thing over and over. You know, you see these writers, whether it's comics or not. So, okay, well, I'm this guy, and I write this kind of comics, and so here you go. Here's this comic over and over and over again. My, some of my favorite comics coming out right now, or really just in general over the last like, 10 years, or whatever Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker are doing. And a lot of the time, they do crime comics, but they try all these different angles on it. And even within their own series, like with Criminal, yeah, that's one kind of worldish of crime, and there's you know characters cross over and characters don't, but they're always trying new stuff. Yeah, it's like they know their strength or what they're passionate about, but they can explore it in different ways and challenge themselves. I mean, I know some of them are like historical. I mean, they've done right. What there was one that was like Hollywood in the fifties. Oh, that was fantastic! Yeah, the fade yeah. out. Yeah, that yeah, was amazing. Yeah, fade out. Like, I mean, I'm sure that has like a bunch of research and things that they had knew nothing about that you know they can. Use what they know, but also what they don't. And I do feel that there may be some sort of, you know, an over fetishization of, of failure. But I do think failure is essential to any any sort of creative career at the very least. I've had and faced failures in my own career quite a few times over and have done things that weren't the best work or things I shouldn't have taken on. But I don't regret a single one of them because 
all that leads to where you are next. Yeah, I think, well, you, you just said that you don't regret any of it. I mean, I, I, I tell people that all the time that, like, even if you fail miserably or whatever it is you're trying to do, you know, start a business or move to somewhere, like, you're going to regret it more if you didn't even try. Well, there's that whole notion of, like, the obstacle being the way. You know, you need to have something to pursue. And, you know, that can be, it doesn't have to be a writer. I, I certainly hope it's not fame because that's ridiculous. It doesn't get you anything. But um, as long as you're moving, well, it's the, there's a Winston Churchill quote. This is a success is not failure. A final failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. As long as you keep moving, that's what you, you got to do, you know. I want to know someone's at least taking some form of a risk, you know, trying the same thing over and over and over. Yeah, I'm the I'm the same. I I'd, I'd rather see a bad movie from somebody who was doing something interesting and weird than just. Well, the overused example in comics, but it's true, is Robert and Tony on Walking Dead, where it's like nobody wanted zombie comics. Everyone's told you don't do zombie comics. It doesn't make any money. A lot of people tried zombie comics and failed. And then they worked so hard to release a zombie comic, and it was a dud. You know, the initial orders were horrible. It was nearly canceled, and, you know, everyone knows where that went. Yep. So you, you just never know. Uh, you mentioned, I forget which comic you were talking about, how you wrote the last three pages. Shudder, yeah. Um, do you do any kind of, like, exercises like that? Like, I always read these, these like, little tricks that, like, writers do. Or, like, uh, I don't know, I put my character, like, in the White House and see how he behaves or whatever. I don't know, like, little weird tricks to test test yourself i guess so the short answer is yes but you know i don't you know i'm not going to write the lead of shutter his name's kate christopher you know i'm not going to just write a kate christopher short story at least i haven't for the sake of doing it you know unless you count notes i think that's the thing i do the most that's not directly related to something i'm working on where if i'm feeling particularly stuck i'll just write anything in a notebook, you know, I'll just, the first thing that rolls out of my head, you know, sensical or not, sometimes it's just random words that just pour out and, you know, that don't have any narrative value. Well, sometimes it's not even a story. Sometimes it's just, I can't, I'm not getting anything out today. I'm sitting down, I'm here, nothing's flowing. So I'll be like, okay, well, for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to write whatever I want in this notebook. And it can make sense. It could not, there's no judgment. You know, it could be totally useful to me. It could be, in most of the cases, it's not. But it just gets you going. You know, you can't wait. You have to just create. And you have to do something. You know, you can't just, you know, one of my, my, my hobbies is boxing. I love boxing. And then a lot of times, if I'm stuck on something, I'll go to the gym and I'll box. And the thing with boxing, people are like, oh, well, you're working out your emotions or your aggression is like, no, you can't. Because the thing is, if, you, if you're focused on that, you're going to get punched really hard by someone and you're not paying attention. I find a lot of time when I get home and then I sit down again, I'm like, oh, my brain's been like, all right, so while you're doing that, I got this figured out. So here's what you need to do. So I, I, so I guess my point is that you either sit down and write or in my case, I do some sort of physical activity or some sort of mental wellness. The hobby's like active, you know, it's not like, it's not consuming. It's, it's you know, Go and either making something or expressing something or working something. I, I mean, right. It's, it's not as long as it's not passive. I guess is the thing I'm trying to get to. You know, yeah. I mean, even if you're walking your dog. I mean, I have a lot of my greatest ideas walking our dog. You got any dog stories in the works? <laughs> um, there was a dog in Flavor who essentially was my dog, um, or you know, is my dog. You mentioned 
a little bit earlier that I, th I think you said you were currently working on a, a book and you had a publisher in mind and you were working with the publisher kind of as you were crafting the book. Mm -hmm. um, you also, you spent, you spent some time working at Image, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, a long time ago. But you would, that was just like not creating. You were just like an office job kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, a, I almost consider that a, almost a different person lived that life. It certainly feels like a different lifetime. Um, but, you Sounds know. going to see if that, it, like having been inside the publisher, if that affected the way you think about, even the fact that you're cognizant of who you want to publish a book is kind of shaping the way you're writing the book. It seems like you have to have a certain, I don't know, like empathy for publishers and understand where they're coming from and what their oh, goals absolutely. are. Oh, absolutely. That word right there. And it's not even just the publishers. Forget the publisher for a second. If you're late on a script, that means the artist is going to be late. And then the colors is going to be late. And then the letterer is going to be screwed, right? I mean, the colors and letterer just get screwed. People, most people are cognizant of that. Then you forget there's a production person who has to stay at the publisher later on a Friday night, cancel their plans, and put your book together because they had five books already to put together this week. And then because you're late, now your book is the sixth book that's keeping them. I've seen how the system works. It, it does affect me in that regard in terms of how I work, knowing that there's all, all these pieces and that when I let people down, it's, it's more than just my creative team. It's you know, all these people who are earning a paycheck, putting you know books together or doing the accounting. And then if it's a work for hire thing with a established character, you know, like you don't own Batman, pal. I did a Batman thing. They had certain expectations that needed to be met. So it's okay, well, you can do this and other thing, you know. But yeah, I would say my time in working at Image, like it doesn't affect how I write, but it does affect how cognizant I am of all these different parts. And it's also helped my bullshit detector, you know, like when I when a publisher is promising you know, everything and saying, well, I can do this better. It's like, well, wait a second. No, 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 no. That's not true. Like, like I've seen how the sausage is made. Yeah, when I was working there, it was like I did inventory. I did traffic managing. I dealt with printers and distributors uh, because of those things. I would work with production. I saw how the accounting worked, but I didn't do accounting. And then I saw publishing decisions being made. I was never involved in anything like that, of course. But uh, were you writing at the time, or is this before you started writing? No, and, and I was, and I it was, I was very. I felt, especially when I started doing marketing and sales, I thought it would be screwed up if I ever had to tell someone, "Hey, your press release didn't go out because mine did." I, you know, realized early on that you, whether you're a production person or an accountant or whoever, and you're at a comic con and your badge says you know, that publisher's name, you represent that publisher to some degree. And um, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy like pitching his comic and kind of trying to use your badge or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. And I've seen people do it, but it gets to an uncomfortable place because, you know, I've had things where editors I was talking to about work were asking me for, to check out their stuff. And I was like, or I, I ran an anthology called Pop Gun for a while. Or in one situation I had a, an editor I was talking to at a different publisher about trying to get work with them was asking me if I could look at their stuff for Pop Gun. And I was like, wait, what? You're pitching me work? Like, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? Are people who work at publishers are like, what percentage of them would you say are actually making comics as well? Or, or is it mostly just people who... It's hard to say. I mean, I haven't even been in, in that end of the world for 10 years now almost. I do think a lot of editors want to write or do write, you know, like at Skybound, uh, who I love working with. Uh, Sean Mackiewicz also writes a book called Gasolina. And I love it because he got nominated for an Eisner. And I'm like, well, that's a great, like if a writer ever argues with you, 
Yeah. You know, about something you'd be like, well, not for nothing, but uh, not ready for an Eisner. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and I, and I feel like, or like at DC, they had, um, unfortunately, they don't anymore, but they had Mark Chiarello as an art director. And it's like, yeah, he's also one of the best illustrators, yeah. <laughs> you know, just working. And so, you know, it's great. And was there any, like, I don't know, different creators that you noticed the people at the company like spoke more highly of or the ones that they were like, yeah, this guy's a pain. Not not that I'm asking for names. I'm saying like, was there any patterns that you said, oh, okay, these are the people who seem to have success and that people like working with. And did you learn anything from that? Like, I want them to talk about me the way they talk about these other people. And so I'm going to try to, I don't know, do these things. I've never framed it in that um, way. Um, it's not so much relevant with image, but you know, it's like, all these editors, Monday morning they come in and they're told, okay, we have these problems and we need to have a book based on TV show X and it needs to have these sort of whatever these parameters are. So an editor needs to cast a team and put that book together and they want people who are going to deliver on time. You know, they want someone who can just rely on and who... Makes sense. I mean, maybe it's more obvious than, uh, than I'm making it out to be. Well, I think people try to overcomplicate it. Just do good work, true work, and maybe you'll never be successful. That's the most likely thing that you won't be successful. There's no secret to breaking into comics or, I don't know, I, I, I feel we focus too much, and maybe it's an American thing or it's a 21st century thing, but, you know, you can achieve your dreams if you just try. It's like, well, that's not true at all. But you can try to, That that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, if if your dream is to make comics, like you don't, you could just make comics. <laughs> There's nothing stopping you. Yeah, and if your dream is to be read and be famous, just stop, quit right now. Just don't do it. Like that's a horrible reason. Your dreams it. shouldn't rely on somebody else's validation. Right. Was it Henry Ford who would say, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. You, you know? got a lot of good good quotes up your sleeve. You got you brought out Abraham Lincoln, Henry Ford, Neil Gaiman. I read a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, I'd, just to finish off, you mentioned Pop Gun, and um, Pop Gun mm. was a short story anthology, right? Correct. And the the competition that we're we're planning on doing here first is a short story competition. So, I'm curious, what what do you think the role is of of short stories within comic books? Because anthologies have been around, and they're definitely something that people do. Um, how do you feel about them, like as a writer and just comic book reader? I love them, and I'll tell you, I could do my career all over again. The only thing I would change is to start small and build, right? So you start with like a one-page short story, then do a two-page, then three-page, five-page, until you can write a full issue. You know, with Popgun, I saw a combination of two things. One was a lot of amazing new cartoonists who just didn't get a platform. And then I would talk to a lot of established creators, like uh, like Eric Larson, for instance. You know, he, can, he has a comic where he can draw whatever he wants. But even he was like, man, I would love to just do something goofy for like three pages. I was like, okay, we'll just do that, you know? And so I feel like if you're if you're new to comics, it helps you build your craft. And if you're not, it helps you experiment and try new things. And so as a reader, you know, um, I love anthologies. You know, like there's an anthology, I believe it was from Dark Horse or Fantagraphics called Anything Goes. And it was all these crazy cool short stories from, you know, all sorts of people. And then there was um, around the same period of time, I think Kitchen Sink Press put out the new adventures of the spirit and it was like, okay, well here's Alan Moore and Daniel Torres doing a cool spirit story. I like, okay, geez, that's cool. I never would have thought they were Batman black and white. What does Katsuro Tomo do with Batman? Is he going to write a huge, write and draw a huge run of Batman? No, but he'll do eight pages. 
that's cool. And so, yeah, with Pumpkin, it was just, okay, if you're a new creator, showcase your stuff in six pages or whatever. And if you're an established name, just do a thing you have no other opportunity to do otherwise. And I think that's why it, it you know, one an Eisner and one a Harvey and, um, got out there was because it was just more so assembling people doing the things they wanted to do the most. That was the only edict. I think that's that's a pretty common success story. Sometimes people are like, "Yeah, I was focused really hard on this other thing, and then I did just I did this one thing for fun with a friend, and that ended up being the one that took off." Oh yeah, we just felt oh, yeah, free and sure. liberated and did some wacky stuff, and I guess that's where your I don't know most unique stuff can come out. Yeah, that's what you should target should be for. Is instead of seeking something you feel you should do should try to do the thing that you want to do and it may work and it may not but you know i think the the, the bad decisions i've made in my career and again i wouldn't change anything but the bad decisions i made is when it's i've done the things that i thought oh well you should do this at this point in time and i did it and then i was like ah this is not fun yeah it's like hemingway says to put another quote out there it's like just write the truest words you can and go from there right on um cool man well thanks for talking to me oh I sure it's very insightful i think a lot of people can Learn a lot. Is there anything you want to shout out? Anything you're excited about working on or reading that you want to shoot out into the universe? No. Just no. All right. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I'm increasingly a pretty private guy, so I just, I don't know. The purpose of this podcast is for people who are writing to want to write, just, just write. Quit coming up with BS about why you can't write. Write something dumb. Make a mistake. Go live a life. Get in a fight. You know, keep heartbroken, fall in love, and write about it, and write other stuff, and just make it happen. I like uh, I like the Neil Gaiman one. Write or do nothing. Write or do nothing. That's good. It's good exercise. All right, man. Thanks for really. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. Hey,